the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You know, Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, a graduate of Trinity University, a master's degree from Our Lady of the Lake. No, from University of the Incarnate Word. I'll get that correct. Wrong side of town. Not wrong, but a different side of town. She also serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and is the board chair for the National Council on Aging that does great work. Thank you. I would I would agree with you if you are not familiar with the National Council on Aging. NCOA. NCOA.org. Check it out. Uh, they have wonderful tools for finding out what benefits your family member. If you're a caregiver, you want to run to their benefits checkup site, benefitscheckup.org, and find out all of the programs for which your loved one might be eligible. Did you know, Ron, that every year we leave about $30 million on the table of money that seniors have earned, they are eligible for, and they do not take those benefits. Don't say that out loud or somebody will go get them. So benefitscheckup.org, it's a service of the National Council on Aging. Check it out, and it's anonymous. Hey, would you do me a favor? Can you pass me another cup of coffee? I'd appreciate that. Well, you know, I, I am so glad that you mentioned coffee. You know, coffee, we, we joke a lot because the, I think the subjects that we talk the most about are robots, naked mole rats, um, coffee's up there it like, is. in the top five. It is. Because there's always an article about coffee. Keeps percolating. <laughs> it does. Yes. It does. And it's something near and dear to my heart. It's not just me. You know, um, it's so it's so much a part of our lives here in the United States. I think it's like 100 million people drink coffee. It's 51% of adults in the United States. Really? Yes. If we would drink it black, we would save about 69 calories. I don't put anything in it. Well, I, I do. Do so, you? So, yes. That's you could use non-fat, non-fat milk. Yeah, and the average number of cups, how many cups a day do you think Americans drink on average? Four. 3.1. So that was close. So, yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty close. How many ounces per cup? Well, uh, nine, so we're cheating. Oh, that's it's not a, It's a big cup. Yeah, I'm a I six think mine's, ounce. Mine, mine, no, mine's even bigger than that. I have no idea how many ounces it is. But anyway, <laughs> you know, there was this big, in the last couple of weeks, there's been this big... Um, lawsuit brewing about, you know, is coffee good for you, bad for you? How is it going to turn out? Um, and Next Avenue, ha- you know, had a big headline that read, go ahead, have another cup. Um, and so basically the the cumulative research out there is that basically coffee is basically good for you. So basically, basically it's good for you. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it significantly lowers your risk of Parkinson's significantly, really? significantly. Um, it can help you keep your metabolism zooming along by 15% for three hours after you exercise. And it's also been recommended to have a cup before you exercise because you get that little jolt and you're ready to exercise. How about before that donut? But you definitely put the donut down, have the coffee. Um, and then it can reduce your risk of kidney stones. So coffee does have its its purposes. And then if you don't want to drink the coffee, use the coffee grounds to cover scratches in your wood. We've forgotten about it. You, you know, they used to scratch your wood and they used to sell like right. dark furniture polish. You can just take your grounds 
Um, and just rub it on there? And, and, and rub it, it, put it, make a paste out of it huh. with a little bit of water. Rub it in there, let it sit for about 10 minutes, and it'll help take scratches out of your furniture. No kidding. You can exfoliate your feet because it's abrasive in your elbows. Yeah, I can use that. Yeah, so if you're a coffee drinker, you can ground. Or you can put it in your compost pile. It's got nitrogen, and it feeds those little microorganisms. I had a pedicure the other day, and Bobby Paris, who does my pedicures, she said to me, would you do me a favor next time you come in? Go get another pedicure first and then come in. Oh. Because my feet are really bad. Oh. Well, I wait. walk barefoot. That's a no-no. That's a no-no for it because you just like toughen them up? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But do you drink coffee? I do. Well, you do. I should soak my feet in coffee. Well, you know, I... Or the grounds. Well, you you know, they do soak your tea, your feet in hot tea in some Asian... Um, really? Jap- I go to a Japanese spa, and they soak your feet in tea. That's we, not coffee. Do you have one of those little Keurigs, or do you uh, uh, have a Mr. Coffee style? So this is a true story. Um, I gave up coffee and caffeine when I was pregnant with my son, ah. and he's 20, soon to be 21. So for 20 years, no coffee, no caffeine. Seriously. Caffeine-free. One trip to Italy... Yeah. And a cappuccino. <laughs> and that <laughs> it turned it. into several cappuccinos, <laughs> which I came back to the United States and could, ran, got off the plane, got in the car, drove to the store, bought a cappuccino machine. It, you know, it's not a Keurig, but it, right. so we have this Italian espresso cappuccino really? machine in our house that... You know, is now I, 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 my whole life has changed because I can't stop thinking about the cup of espresso or cappuccino that I get to have because I, I, I'm t- very sensitive to caffeine, so I get one, two at the you most. Have tiny little cups, tiny to drink cups, it in? yeah. But I, I have the tiny cups, wow. and I only get those tiny cups, and then the whole experience is gone. I have to wait until tomorrow. Oh, now does the machine make the hissing sounds that they they do in the big? No, or? no, it doesn't. Oh. Have, it's not that fancy, oh, but okay. it does gurgle, and it makes me happy. Probably get an app that makes the sound. <laughs> yeah, you probably could. You probably could. <laughs> so anyway, that's the Have story. Have another cup of coffee. That's the story on coffee. Uh, and if you want to take a look at uh, <laughs> me, someone who needs a caregiver, what are the five signs that you need a caregiver? I'll give you one. You can't put your own socks on. So Ron, Ron is commenting that he recently had knee surgery, I did. and he has found himself to be a care recipient. Yes, um, and cannot put his own socks on, among other things well, that my wife, Ron can no longer do. My wife is a saint. Let me tell you, she is. Yeah. So for all of you listening out there, just know that Ron's wife is a saint. Um, but the ARP <laughs> has come out with a list of five signs that you, Ron, might need a caregiver, and one of them is. Um, you know, have you fallen or do you are you, do you have a lot of hazards for fall? Have you noticed someone is unsafe indoors and outdoors? Are you using step ladders inappropriately? Have you had knee surgery and <laughs> prone to fall? Let so, me stop you real quick and remind folks that Stacy Friedenthal is joining us in just a couple of moments, an expert on seniors and suicide. She'll be joining us. On nine thirty a.m., the answer. See, I didn't have enough coffee, so we didn't we didn't recognize today, yes. right? And and I just want to emphasize: you don't turn off, don't turn the program off, because you heard our speaker is going to talk about suicide. Because Stacy is an expert, and this is a topic that every one of us needs to know about. A you may not risk. realize it, but suicide rates are going up in the United States. You probably know someone who's committed suicide, and Stacy has really good information for and us. She'll be with you and us on Caregiver SOS on air. We're talking. Talking about five signs you need a caregiver, and one of them we talked about. One of the signs is false hazards, um, because if somebody falls, that's one of the number one reasons people go into nursing homes or could need a caregiver. Um, if you go into your loved one's home and you see those—not my home—go to someone else's home, unopened mail and stacks of mail and unpaid bills. So if the business isn't getting done, the bills aren't getting paid, um, legal documents sign. haven't been dealt with. This is this is a sign. Um, an increase in car accidents. And tickets, I can think of um, situations where older relatives have had more car accidents. Um, If your loved one lives alone, do you have an older parent or sibling 
you know, that lives alone someplace across town really, and, and is starting to get isolated. You don't see them that often. Isolation, it can be very dangerous. And if you don't have somebody there, if you, you know, you can miss those signs that maybe there's some dementia, there's some problems. But the last one, and this one is very common, if you, you know, if you're watching older folks closely, when there's a change in appearance, when all of a sudden, you know, the grandfather that wore a suit and a tie every day is little got a little crusty, wears the same clothes every day, there's food on the clothes, the hair's not calm. When you see a change in appearance like this, something is going on. Um, and even if you're a caregiver, if you notice that the person that you're caring for is starting to change their appearance, is starting to care less about things they that look. they used to do, you know, something's going on. So those are some good warning signs. So thank you, AARP, for getting those out. Finally, one of the best services offered by Caregiver SOS Teleconnection, a uh, teleconnection program that links folks who are in their homes using the lowest form of technology called telephones. Called the telephone. And we've got a couple of really good guests coming on in the very near future. Well, I, I know that a lot of folks enjoyed listening to Barry Jacobs, who is a um, psychologist uh, at our Caregiver Summit. If you go to our website, caregiversos.org, you can hear, you can listen to him and hear his speech that he gave at he the did Caregiver a great Summit. Job. And he did a great job. Well, he's coming on the Caregiver Teleconnection this Monday, February the 19th, um, and he will be talking about family conflict uh, during family caregiving. Have we ever, have any of us ever had a brother or a sister who didn't think we were doing a good job caregiving and they decided to weigh in on how we're doing? And I know, Ron, that's happened to you. That, that happened to you well, once upon a time. My brother was caring for my folks. And I called him and, and just very innocently said, hey, hey Jimmy, I've, I've just got one little suggestion about mom and dad. He said, hey, great. Tell you what, you can practice that because they'll be on the next flight from Cleveland to San Antonio. They're all packed. I'll take them to the airport. You'll see them in about four hours. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got the message. You got the message. So, you know, it's so, you know we, it takes a village and sometimes we're not having a, a positive family interaction. So check out Barry Jacobs, even if you can't listen, if or if, you know, February 19th comes and goes and you missed it, you can listen to this on a podcast. Um, and the other podcast that you're going to want to listen to from our Caregiver Teleconnection is Dear Lucy. So this is Lucy Berrylack who is an expert in caregiving. She's in Canada, but she... She was um, the genesis for teleconnection. She was the one that helped us invent the caregiver teleconnection, she, among other things. And Lucy, you can ask her any question. So this is an anonymous place. You get on the phone with dear Lucy, and you can ask any question, like, should I take away the car keys, or why is it... You know, my loved one keeps at talking about going home. I don't, I don't know where he wants to go. Um, just even small things like my mom only wants to eat ice cream. Is that bad? So these are questions that you can and ask she has Lucy, answers to all those questions. And she's going to answer those. That's pretty cool. She's been doing this for a lot of years up in Canada is where she's based. That's right. So dear Lucy, she's an MSW, a master's degree in social work, um, and you can ask her any questions. You can send your questions in in advance if you would like to. All of this is available for free. And you just need to go to caregiversos.org. And you can sign up and join the teleconnection. Thank you, Carol Zerniel. Up next, we'll talk with Stacy Friedenthal, a professor at the University of Denver School of Social Work. She's up next on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. 
Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And as we have been promising, uh, Dr. Stacy Friedenthal is joining us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. She is out in Denver and is a nationally recognized expert on seniors and suicide, a topic that doesn't get talked enough uh, about, but a topic that is so critically important. And, Carol, in your work at the uh, Area Agency on Aging and at uh, the Wellman Cheryl Foundation, uh, I know you're quite aware of the challenge facing many seniors, and suicide uh, becomes a part of their lives. Well, you know, probably all of us know someone who has committed suicide, and I know in my family it was my great-grandfather who was very ill um, and decided that rather than be a burden, um, he had a shotgun. So, I, you know, it's not unusual. A lot of people don't realize that some of the highest completion rates for suicide, and I, and I know that Stacy knows this, is our older men. Um, and so and it's, a, it's a real tragedy uh, when this happens and you ask yourself a lot of questions. And Stacy, we are pleased to have you with us on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline. Uh, what is it that attracted you as a clinical social worker uh, and as a therapist to get into the topic of suicide? Well, thank you for having me on the show, first of all. Um, what interested me about suicide prevention and, and working with individuals who are at risk for suicide is that I worked in a lot of crisis settings um, in my early days in social work and it just comes up a lot you know and i think it comes up more than people realize that people struggle with suicidal thoughts i also had some personal experiences and for uh one example is that when i was in high school a friend of mine killed himself and at the time you know i had this question of why didn't he tell anybody what he was thinking of doing and why didn't he ask anybody for help and as it happens, that's the question that has stayed with me for years and years, and that's what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on, was um, help-seeking and service, mental health service use during uh, a time of suicidal thoughts. So why, you know, is there something about our society? Um, why is it that suicide uh, is so prevalent uh, in American society? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I will say we don't have the highest rate, you know, so there are countries that have higher suicide rates than the United States, particularly in Eastern Europe and in Scandinavia, the rates um, are higher. But but we do, you know, not only do we have uh, a rate that's disturbing, but it's increasing, and it's increased about um, roughly 30% in the last, 15 or so years. Now, when you mentioned Scandinavia, both Carol and I did a double take because it's not a country I would have thought of as uh, being up there in terms of suicide. It seems to be such a laid-back place. Well, it's also one of the Scandinavian countries also have some of the highest happiness rates as well. You know what? Let me look that up to make sure that I'm not misspeaking. Well, I was about... all, I was thinking, you know, I, 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 I recall um, sad syndrome, you know, the darkness. I recall, like with Germany, um, some, you know, there's not a lot of seafood. There's not a lot of, um, new, you know, the diet doesn't lend itself well. So, I, I you know, I'm, we're certainly not questioning you, uh, uh, but it, it did make me think, oh, wow, they've got both ends of the spectrum up there. Well, that is a really good point, and I am looking at the list, and I think actually I was wrong about the Scandinavian countries because Norway, their rate is 11 per 100,000, and the United States rate is 14 per 100,000. So it's really when looking at um, some of the, the uh, Eastern European countries like Lithuania, their rate is 33 per 100,000. Belarus is 23, Poland is 22, countries like that. Um, but there are also some other countries in there that have higher suicide rates that aren't in that area, like South Korea and Sri Lanka. Now, what about the trend seeing more and more uh, older people now uh, uh, who are attempting suicide? Has that always been the case, but underreported, or, or is, it that, is that a new trend? Well, actually, you know, the the... 
the suicide rates that get the most press are the teen rates, right? Yes. And, you know, suicide among teenagers is tragic. Suicide among any age group is tragic. Uh, the suicide rate for older adults, though, is significantly higher than the suicide rate for teens. It's for people uh, 65 and older, it's double the rate of teens. And then as you get older, and especially among men, um, the, the rate increases even more. But over the last 10 or so years, we've actually seen a, a change in the trends, and that's that middle-aged people are having higher suicide rates than there used to be. It used to be that the, the rates of suicide in the United States increased with age, but now they're really the highest in the middle adulthood group, roughly about 45 to 60, and, um, and then they go down a little, and then there's some fluctuation, and then they rise again um, at, at the highest ages. Well, so, give us, a, if you don't mind, the 411 on uh, suicide. It obviously uh, is a decision that somebody reaches for a variety of reasons, but, but it's a, a decision there's no going back from. If you're successful at killing yourself, you're dead. That's why firearms are, are so, um, why uh, fire, access to firearms is such a crucial issue. So if somebody is vulnerable and is prone to suicidal thoughts, having a, a firearm in the house is incredibly dangerous. Even if somebody's not suicidal, it's, it, right. it increases the risk for suicide just to have a firearm in the house. So, it's, so it sort of is a trigger in terms of giving someone an idea. Well, and also that it's right there. So yeah, it's so accessible. Does and and what did you say? I said it's so accessible. It's so accessible, and then if somebody has an impulsive decision, you know, so, you know, say something bad happens, there's a relationship breakup or wow. somebody's arrested, and if they don't have a firearm in the house, they're likely to get through the intense crisis, but the fatality rate for suicide attempts with a firearm is 85%. Now, stay with me just a minute, Stacy. We're talking with Stacy Friedenthal, who is a professor at the University of Denver Graduate School of Social Work. She's done a lot of research and work on the topic of seniors and suicide. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Uh, you hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. And, Stacy, you have a couple of websites that you maintain speakingofsuicide.com and helpingthesuicidalperson.com. Tell us about those websites, and we'll give the addresses a little later in the show. Sure, sure. So speakingofsuicide.com is really intended mostly for lay people, and um, the audience that it tends to reach the most are people who have suicidal thoughts or have attempted suicide, and then people who have a suicidal family member or have lost somebody to suicide. And so, <laughs> excuse me, so it has articles about um, ways to get through a suicidal crisis, questions to ask yourself, things that you can do, and then also what you can say to somebody who's dealing with suicidal thoughts, what you maybe shouldn't say to somebody who's dealing with suicidal thoughts. So, you know, the articles run the gamut, um, and and. A couple are about psychiatric hospitalization. People have a huge fear of psychiatric hospitalization and just about suicide prevention in general. And then the website, helpingthesuicidalperson.com, I created that as a companion for the book that I had come out recently called, coincidentally, Helping the Suicidal Person. And so it's intended for professionals and contains information about trainings and books and um, other resources for professionals who want to learn more about working with somebody who is thinking of suicide or at risk for suicide. So um, I used to, once upon a time, run an information and referral hotline, and I can remember that our staff were very uneasy about having somebody call who expressed suicidal thoughts They were afraid that if they said the wrong thing, they would cause a suicide. Is that common thinking among people who are exposed to someone who's suicidal? 
it is a very common fear, even among professionals. You know, professionals who rationally know that it's not true still have that fear. And it is a an article I have on my website, speakingofsuicide.com, and the title is something like, Does Talking About Suicide Plant the Idea in the Person's Mind? And there's actually been research that's looked at this, and the answer is no. Well, and, and that and that would be a, a relief because I think you know when they went through some training on that, you know, realizing that they had some unease, um, the the confronting it, you know, asking the question, "Have you thought about suicide? Have you considered this recently?" is actually something you do say. Absolutely, you know, I, I teach a course at the graduate school at university at the graduate school of social work at the University of Denver, and I tell my students to ask about suicidal thoughts and to say the word, you know, so to say the word suicide or kill yourself or suicidal because people are afraid. But if somebody is thinking of suicide, they need to know that the person they're talking to isn't afraid and can handle what it is that they're thinking. Now we're going to come right, um, we're going to come right back to you. Hold that thought. I also want to talk about what it is you ought to look for in this show aimed at caregivers and their families. It would be very helpful uh, to help caregivers understand what the ideation may be. What is it that you might see in your care recipient that might c- cause you concern about suicide, and where can you go for help, and how can you address that issue? Uh, we're talking with Stacy Friedenthal, a nationally known expert on suicide assessment, intervention, and prevention. She's at the uh, Denver Graduate School of Social Work out there in uh, Denver, oddly enough. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, although we are talking about a pretty heavy topic, suicide and seniors, you know all is right with the world when pitchers and catchers are reporting the spring training down in Florida and out in Arizona. That's a good thing. It is indeed the rebirth of baseball and the rebirth for those of us who love that sport of a new season when, before the season begins, anything is possible. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. 9.30 a.m. The Answer is where you find us. We're talking with Stacy Friedenthal. She is a professor at the University of Denver Graduate School of Social Work, has a doctorate uh, in social work, and uh, has a book out dealing with the issue of helping the suicidal person. We're talking with her about uh, what to look for if you believe uh, your care recipient uh, is indeed considering uh, suicide. What would some of the warning signs be? Okay. Well, one of the um, major correlates of suicide that we know is mental illness and especially depression. And so some signs to look for would be um, somebody isolating, uh, isolating, um, sleeping a lot. These are signs of depression, by the way, not necessarily of suicidal thoughts. Um, Sleeping a lot, sleeping less feeling sad, having feelings of hopelessness. And then signs of suicide risk would be actually expressing a wish to not be alive anymore. And earlier, Carol mentioned that her great-grandfather felt like he was a burden to people. And that is considered to be a major um, risk factor for suicide is feeling like other people would be better off without um, uh, this person being around and also not really feeling connected to others or being, you know, even if they are connected to others, feeling disconnected and not being able to take in the love and support of other people. Um, there's some other sort of standard warning signs for, for somebody being in danger of suicide. And, of course, like I said, not wanting to be alive anymore voicing suicidal thoughts. There's a myth that if someone's talking about suicidal thoughts, then that means they don't really mean it. (laughs) And to the contrary, if someone's talking about suicidal thoughts, we need to take that very seriously. Well, what kind of things might they say? I I know I'm a burden on you. It'd probably be better off for you if I wasn't here. That could be something, or they might say, what's the point? I don't have anything to live for anymore. You know, what... Um, my life doesn't mean anything anymore. And sometimes people just say, I want to be dead. 
you know, and and I want to kill myself. I mean, that's as direct as they can get, right? Um, but other times it's more kind of uh, indirect. You so, know, like, so if I hear my loved one, I mean, I think a lot of people, their their inclination to respond, if somebody said, I don't want to live anymore, I'd like to kill myself, they would say, oh my, oh my gosh, no you don't, no, 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 you don't, and, and kind of try to shut that down. But that's not probably not the most helpful approach. That's exactly right, and I actually have an article on my site, speakingofsuicide.com, called 10 things not to say to a suicidal person and that's one of the things not to say and i mean i think the the you know the most important thing is someone tries to talk to you about having suicidal thoughts is to not shut them down you know and so whatever you can say to to keep them going with what they're talking about is going to be constructive so you know, give me so, an example what if i you know what would if I said told you that I didn't have anything to live for, and I was thinking of, I'm thinking of killing myself, what might you say back to me? Well, you know, something that comes to mind immediately is I might say, "God, that sounds really hard. What's going on?" You know, or that that's really sad that you're feeling that way. Tell me more. So you're engaging, something. yeah, engaging them into expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, opening that door and. And not only are you opening the door then to, to understanding more what they're dealing with, but they're getting the message that you can handle it and they, they can talk to you about it. And that in itself could alleviate some feelings of isolation so, you know, that they can talk to you about this. At, at what point then, you know, where might I go? So I, I've engaged them in this conversation. You know, I've acknowledged that they're suffering um, and then where might I go to get some helps if I'm out of my depth having this conversation with my loved one? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, um, where might you go and where might they go, right? Right. Well, both of us. Where would we, where would we go to get some help? Right. So there, there are different options. I mean, one is always primary care. Um, with older adults, we know that far more older adults will go to a primary care physician than to a mental health professional. And part of this is considered generational, that there's more stigma with mental health services among older adults than with younger adults. Um, So one would, uh, for them to go see a professional, right? And that might be their primary care doctor who then can do an assessment for depression and for other things. But that's not the only option. Um, if they belong to a church or a synagogue or another religious um, institution, then they could talk to the, you know, the minister or the rabbi or um, whoever that leader is. There's also the national hotline. It's called the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And may I give that number? Sure, yes. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It's 800 273 8255 and that spells out to talk 8255 does you can do that number do that number twice on the radio so say it again 800-273-8255 and that's a free hotline 24 7 24 7 and they also if the person is a veteran they have an option for veterans and they also have a spanish-speaking option and then there is the crisis text line I know um, texting is much more common with younger people, but many older adults also text, and that text line is 741-741, and I'll repeat that, 741-741. I've never heard of the text, I I have not heard of the text line, hotline. So just take that into the subject and and into the two, 741-741, and and what comes back then when you... uh, Type that in. Uh, someone will text back and just say hello or, you know, how can I help you? There's there's all these different words people can are told that they can text. Like they can just text start or they can text help, you know, but really just whatever. There's no okay. wrong thing for someone to that's text. That's fascinating. I've never heard of that. I think that's a really good resource. I could see where some people you know, might be more inclined to text something. They don't really want to talk to anybody because they want that little bit of distance. Yeah, yeah. And the person who developed the text line has a TED Talk about how it began. And 
it's just amazing what people will disclose by text. You know, like there's less inhibition for some people than when they're talking to somebody. Well, but uh, I do. I, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I just want to say that if, you know, if it's a dire emergency, you know, if somebody has a gun in the other room and is saying, I'm going to kill myself, then that would be a time to call the police. So 911. Yes. Yes. If it's, you know, if it's an emergency like that. But I would caution people against calling the police if it's not an emergency, because sometimes that, in fact, often that can exacerbate the crisis if the police are involved. So really, I mean, that's when somebody's life is immediately being threatened, where where that option should be used. Now, access to uh, mental health and mental health counseling is uh, so limited in so many communities. Uh, you mentioned earlier maybe your PCP, your primary care physician, would be a good place to start. Are we doing a better job of training our PCPs and uh, PAs and uh, nurse practitioners in dealing with suicide and, and threats of suicide? I think yes and no. Um, I mean, definitely there's a lot more awareness than there was maybe 15 or 20 years ago among physicians in the allied professions about suicide risk, and not just suicide risk, but mental health in general. You know, uh, primary care physicians are the largest prescriber of psychiatric medications. Um, but the, and also there's the patient health questionnaire, which is nine questions to assess depression. And the last item, unfortunately, the last, I don't think it should be the last thing asked, but the last item assesses whether the person is having thoughts of, of harming themselves. Yeah, I think um, there's a two, I think there's a two question questionnaire that may, it maybe perhaps it's used in our medical group. It's one is, are you depressed, you know, feeling depression? The other one is, are, do you, are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you, have you had suicidal thoughts? Well, and then that's giving to the, cutting to the chase. Yeah, much faster. Real, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well and, and, and the depression, you know, we've talked about older adults, it's so pervasive in seniors, either as a result of accumulated loss of family and friends, it can be the medications that they're on, it can be the, you know, the illnesses that they're facing day after day. There's just a lot going on. That's absolutely right. And, and then there's sometimes in, in older adults, depression is mistaken for dementia, you know, and, and it can be called pseudo-dementia because there can be cognitive slowing from depression, there can be confusion, there can be difficulty concentrating, and it responds to antidepressants. Right, so it's a reversible kind, which we encourage people, if someone's behavior is, you know, is, is changed, um, if they appear like they have dementia overnight or after a couple of weeks, um, then it's probably, it's probably not dementia. Probably not dementia. Right. <laughs> Right. Now, we have about two minutes left. For those who are listening who might want to interact with you, do you offer uh, through your website and elsewhere services? Do you come out and talk to groups? Uh, do you travel the country? Um, I do give presentations in various places, mostly at conferences. Um, and, and then I do also have a Facebook page for my websites. So I have a Facebook page for helpingthesuicidalperson.com and a Facebook page for speakingofsuicide.com. So, you know, as we close, is there is there anything, are there any other misconceptions or, you know, something that you really want to communicate to caregivers about suicide and the risk and dangers of suicide? Um, well, I, I think, you know, returning to what you had said earlier about asking about suicidal thoughts, I think, you know, there's that myth that asking about suicidal thoughts will put the idea on the person's head. And the reality is, is the idea is already in everybody's head. <laughs> you know, so we already all know about suicide. And so asking about it isn't telling somebody about an option that they never knew about, right? right. It's already there. Right. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of people do not volunteer it. And even in studies that have looked at people who died by suicide, that had a, an appointment with a mental health professional 24 hours earlier, many people didn't tell their therapist wow. or psychiatrist that they were thinking of suicide. i got to stop and you right there. We, we are flat out of time, but folks can go 
uh, to your websites. Speaking of suicide.com for the lay people and helping the suicidal person.com uh, for the professional. And Stacy, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I hope we talk again uh, in the near future. We'll get you back on Caregiver SOS on air. Thank you, Stacy. Coming up, take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The answer, be there. Thank you for sticking with us here for Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And as we are each week, we are joined by Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert not only in addiction but in caregiving as well. And we take a topic each week for Take 10, and one that Carol has selected today uh, deals with difficulties that families face. Yes, I was looking at an article out of Next Avenue. It was four myths about estrangement. Um, And, Jamie, I often hear you talk about your family of choice. Uh, And so this is talking about how relatively common it is for particularly parents and children to become estranged um, and that uh, we somehow have these expectations that everybody else has a perfect family except for us. Um, and so, you know, they were talking about the myth of estrangement. But, you know, estrangement is, is, is not uncommon. When you talk about no. family choice, you're really talking about who you're choosing to be with, and it's not your biological family. Yeah, now families of choice can live pretty symbiotically with families of origin. It's just it's kind of what you need in the moment at the time, and you're able to kind of get what I call a corrective emotional experience experience by choosing a family of choice, that's a little bit different than uh, estrangement. Estrangement is more, unfortunately, uh, in my, in, I'll say, in the, when I started my own therapy practice 30-some years ago, I used to work with adolescents, and I would work with very troubled divorces, whereby um, estrangement was kind of almost synonymous with parental alienation, where actually parents would take the, the children and split them off from the other um, partner simply using them in an acrimonious sort of divorce and engaging them in behavior by being very negative about about their father or about their mother. And so alienation was, and it certainly is, a legal term, and it's also something which happens, you know, a great deal post-divorce. Well, and they, now, were, re- they were talking right. about, you know, what causes, you know, the reasons for estrangement, and they said often it is because you're forced to choose between a parent or you might, you know, it might be because you've mar- they don't like the person that you're marrying. Um, it could be because of a divorce. And so it's, um, you know, it, and at the, the last one they talk about it, it could be like because there's a dysfunctional family where you have domestic violence and mental health issues. But, yeah, the divorce, having having to pick, it's not like Sophie's Choice almost, but having to pick or, or pitting family members against family members uh, and becoming estranged as because of a divorce, it's it's kind of sad. Yeah, and we have a, a higher incidence of it. I mean, people living longer, larger families, if you will. I think the most really common way that, that caregivers, if you will, actually estrange themselves or, or alienate themselves is through money. I think money becomes a, a huge issue. The wills become a huge issue. All the family of origin um, plays into, you know, the, what happens today. Mom likes you more. Dad likes you more. Um, but money seems to be the thing that creates the most self-centeredness among grandparents and parents and, and, and caregivers uh, and, and as a whole. Well, anybody who has been in a room 
with um, a family that is arguing over either to place or not place mom or dad in a nursing home because of the money or is looking at, uh, you know, the will, um, I would have to agree with you that money can break up a family faster than almost anything, probably faster than a divorce, is an argument over money. That's a, that's a song from Cabaret. No, the song from Cabaret, Money, 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 Money. Exactly. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is we do, as you often heard me say, recreate the trauma and the dramas of childhood. So it's not really uncommon that if a child grew up in a family that had alienation or estrangement, if you will, that they also kind of recreate that later uh, when they become grandparents or become involved in a, uh, a situation where they're, they're a caregiver and they too kind of take the, what happened as a childhood and actually, you know, do it again. Well, the the Next Avenue article talks about that probably estrangement, you know, isn't a one-off. It's not a one-time thing. That even though we now we're fighting about the will and the money, that there was already a lack of trust. There was probably an accumulation of resentment um, that happened even before that. This is why it's so critical to get into therapy. I mean, to me, the issue of estrangement or alienation screams the fact that we need a safe place, a third party, a reflective sort of soul that we trust so that we can actually uh, break through these, these old patterns and we can also have our lives reflected back to us. And even more importantly, Carol Ron, have our consequences reflected back to us because there is no good ending when estrangement is in the picture. Now stay with us a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zernio. We're talking about estrangement in families, and uh, you mentioned therapy. Uh, are there opportunities for pre-divorce therapy? I don't mean couple counseling, but you know you're going in that direction. So maybe we ought to get everybody together and figure out how to do this in a safe way for all concerned. Do people do that? Oh. Yes, they do, um, but again, they need usually third parties around them. Sometimes, you know, families can't tell the forest because of the trees, and right. when you get into these nasty divorces, you, you really get into a spiral. But when families do come around and actually can reflect back again to them, and hopefully they do use a third party, but sometimes it happens just with the family alone, they can get them to start planning the divorce, Ron, and, and actually creating a situation that can be very acrimonious, uh, but one that, that has now some ability to have communication channel. Well, um, you know, thinking on the flips, on the other end of the estrangement, estrangement may not necessarily be a bad thing. So if you come from a family where there's abuse going on, emotional abuse, physical abuse, any kind of abuse, sexual abuse, you know, it's a healthy boundary to set and say, I don't want you in my life anymore. Absolutely. In fact, there's nothing more important, I think, as we become caregivers than boundaries. I mean, you and I have often talked about this in terms of taking care of ourselves. The reason why we usually go down this terrible spiral is that we, we don't have boundaries. We don't put ourselves first. We don't develop our own energy. We don't see a therapist and deal with our mind, body, and soul. So, you know, these boundaries that you speak about are the solution. And therapy is what really... You know, it's a process that creates or helps, allows us to, to create boundaries. That happens often with grandparents and parents. So, you know, if you are seeing it, I think Ron had a great, you know, idea back there. Try to bring it up to the awareness of your loved one, that there is another path, a communication path, one that has a third party, and that you don't have to have these terrible consequences of alienation and estrangement. Well, do some families just kind of not like each other or don't find each other interesting? I mean, can people just, like, outgrow the people they grew up with? They can, but, you know, it often has to do with the individual and their ability to be in touch with themselves and ask them why and, and, and you know, also taking responsibility, becoming aware that maybe part of this was, was my doing and then meeting the other person halfway. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we do wander apart, and sometimes it's distance, but I don't think we have to. I really believe that if everybody kind of takes responsibility, which is like the process of mindfulness, if you will, and take responsibility for their own mind, body, and soul, uh, at least they can stay closer. They may not be best friends, but they can stay close enough that this terrible thing of estrangement and alienation is not the result.
Got about a minute or so left before we bail out and uh, flip off of Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air. Dr. Eisman, uh, talk to me a little bit about can you anticipate uh, these kinds of estrangements? Can you look down the road and say, oh, here comes something, let's take action now? You can, Ron. I think if you see a family that doesn't have common goals, have these very high, lofty expectations, you've, you've heard me say expectations are the seeds of resentment, Families, like Carol was saying, that do not set boundaries and are pretty much jello-like. Um, and um, you, you can usually spot this pretty much a mile away. Now, whether the, the participants can is another issue. And that's why it's so critical for us as a family to get around them, to have an intervention, if you will, uh, to stay connected with them, and hopefully get them to a safe place where they can get, as I said, either a therapist or group therapy or support group where they can get it reflected back to them. Well, so you can see this coming. Well, I will close with a, you know, estrangement can be overcome. Um, recently we had a caregiver family that had been estranged forever, and the older parents, it turned out the, the younger son had cancer, and he had been estranged from the parents, um, and he, through his course of illness, realized that he had done many, many things he, he could have done better, uh, and they were reconciled a day before he passed away. Wow. Um, but it made the whole family had some closure and some peace. That's with a this Hallmark, reconciliation. Uh, Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. That's pretty cool. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernia. We'll catch you again next week, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.